center and coming in is Loom. Millendike centered it. Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Ryan Pike on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, this hour is underway. It's Friday, April 28th, as we welcome you to the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Yeah, Steinberg and Pike along with you. Hi, Pike. Hello, Patrick. How are you? I'm well. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key to like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit Calgary Lock and Safe. Dot com. Flames Talk on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And let's kick off this hour by going inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. With new product families, member rewards, and sale events, you'll find more quality, more savings in every department every day at Calgary Co-op. So I imagine that the group of potential Flames new general managers are all in a group chat, all in a WhatsApp <laughs> chat or a iPhone group chat. That's how I imagine it. And uh, every once in a while, a new number gets added. Uh, I wonder if somebody new has entered the chat when it comes to the next general manager of the Calgary Flames. Uh, And has the search even begun in earnest? Here's Elliot Friedman on the latest 32 Thoughts podcast published on Friday morning, wherever you get your podcast. So go check it out. And this is what Elliot had to say right near the end of the almost one hour 32 Thoughts when it comes to where Calgary is on their GM search sounds like they might start to do some GM interviews maybe over the next week or so. I think they're going to get closer to doing some actual conversations here. But one of the names I'm kind of wondering about here is Mark Hunter uh, from the London Knights. Hmm. That's a name I could see potentially having a conversation with the organization, if not... I'm so careful about terms now, conversation, interview, like <laughs> you get caught on semantics so much. Yep. It's not worth the aggravation, but I, I think he could be a name of interest. So Mark Hunter was the AGM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. He was uh, in player personnel with the Maple Leafs when Lou Lamorello was their general manager. Before that, he was the general manager of the London Knights. After that, he is the general manager of the London Knights and has been for the last five years. Um, So he's been in NHL hockey ops before. He's been a GM lots in junior. He's coached before. He's played for the Flames. He was part of the 1989 Stanley Cup win. He was part of the... His name's on the Cup. His name is on the Cup. And, and... He's part of the good Doug Gilmore trade, not the bad Doug Gilmore the, the trade. One, the one that had Steve Bozick in it. The one that brought Gilmore here as opposed to the one that sent Gilmore out. You don't want to be associated with the second Gilmore trade, but the first Gilmore trade, that was a two-thumbs-up deal for the Flames. But he's been out of the NHL for five years. It's been five years since Mark Hunter was involved with an NHL front office. Has been back with the London Knights and, and building, you know, one of the, the model Ameri- uh, Ontario Hockey League franchises for quite some time. I think, and, and was talking to a couple people about this today. Look, 
if you're going to do a general manager search, then a guy like Mark Hunter seems to make sense. He's a guy with experience. He's a guy who has been kind of in the conversation for other GM jobs before. That seems like a sensible name that you might want to reach out to and see what type of fit there might be. So I, I can understand why Elliot might be bringing that name up because it's it's the type of name that Don Maloney talked about as kind of maybe one of those next guys uh, as a GM in this league. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, when I throw it up on Twitter this uh, this afternoon, uh, some folks point out his age. He's 60. So uh, compared to, say, some other candidates we might talk about momentarily, he's, he's a little bit older. But, I mean, you know, Mark Hunter had a, a very good National Hockey League career, ha- has some hardware to speak from that experience. Uh, he's been pretty much since he left hockey, uh, he, he's coached quite a bit in the Ontario League. He's basically owned one of the model franchises. I mean, uh, I think the, fr- the on the site, the, the, com- the comparison I made was he's basically the OHL Brett, Brent Sutter. Brent Sutter, yeah. In that, like, he, he's very much embedded in the fabric of hockey in the Ontario Hockey League. And the, the much like the Red Deer Rebels uh, have been a very good and, you know, you could argue a model franchise in the Western League, the same can be said about the, the London Knights. They've, they've sent a bunch of really good players to the National Hockey League. Uh, Wes Gilbertson on Twitter noted, uh, you know, referencing uh, the, the report from Elliot that, you know he's close with Nazem Kadri. Nazem Kadri played with played on Mark in uh, in the OHL. Nazem Kadri, you know, had Mark Hunter at his uh, his Stanley Cup celebration in London. Uh, so I mean that could be a fit if you're looking for someone that sort of knows how to get along with players, understands NHL and hockey culture, understands you know the the rigors of a Canadian market. Uh, you know both from you know very very high level OHL franchise and the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think it hits a lot of things. Uh, he, I think that one of the dings on him might be uh, compared to the other people who might be up for the job, uh, a lack of uh, hands-on experience recently in, in a pro environment. That might be a ding against him. He hasn't had to manage a cap. I mean, the, managing the OHL is very challenging, but it's, I think, a different kind of challenge than you'd experience managing the salary cap, managing reserve list. Uh, but, you know, he's he's had uh, some success with the Leafs. Uh, he did not get the, the role that ended up going to Kyle Dubas, and I, you know, I believe the scuttlebutt was that was one of the things that really contributed to him going, oh, well, I'm going back to London, yep. and going back to London. But you can't, you can't uh, poo-poo his credentials, because his resume is impeccable. Yeah, he's had success pretty much where he's gone and and you know I, I i don't mind i don't mind the idea um i like some of the other candidates better uh and that's that's not a knock on mark hunter's resume i just you know whether it's the internal ones and and whether we're talking about conroy and pascal um or whether even we're talking about some of the external names out there from you know, I, I really like the idea of Sean Horkoff. I I like guys who work under Steve Eiserman. Um, that th- those those usually turn out to be if, pretty good disciples. I, I think these days, if you try to hire people at Detroit or Tampa Bay, you're probably going to get somebody good. I think that's a very good way of putting it. I think Colorado would be, you know, and and, and I think I, I like the idea of Rich Peverly. I like the idea of Eric Tulski. I mean, these are successful organizations and, and guys, in, especially when it comes to Peverly and Horkoff, guys who have played in the league and are now learning on the job, very similar to Conroy has. I still think the internal candidates, and, and uh, I, I still think when we're talking about Craig Conroy, this guy has touched every facet of the organization, and this 
This guy has done everything in hockey ops other than be a general manager. He's scouted. He's done contracts. He's run the AHL team. He's, uh, he's, he's done college free agents. He's done junior free agents. He hits like 50 players every draft when he does up his reports. I mean, the, the guy has been in hockey ops and has been being groomed for a general manager's position for more than 12 years. Brad Pascal has been the general manager of the American I, League I team think for if, nine straight if, seasons. If, if you look at the uh, how it breaks down, I think uh, <laughs> I actually wrote about Brad Pascal uh, for Saturday. But Brad Pascal, between Hockey Canada and the Flames, has been in hockey ops in various capacities for 27 years. And he played pro, and he played in college. Like that's he's been in hockey, high level hockey for thirty years. Uh, I don't want to make you sound old, Brad. I know you're listening, but that's, that's an incredible resume. Like the the Flames have, you know, a bunch of guys just internally who have resumes that make you go, "Do they really need to look outside? They should look outside because you want to make sure you get it. You're doing a a a, a full body, you know, a, a full a full fledged search, but. If you, if the right person is down the hall, you might you might as well hire the right person. Well, and and I understand to an extent why they didn't come right out and just say, Conroy, you're in. I get that they wanted to do their due diligence and and undertake a search. I think that's important, and and I I, I really do get that. But I said to to your point, I mean, okay, you think about you think about Conroy's past here. He's been here in the city for more than 23 years, or he's been associated with the city for more than 23 years since he was acquired. To, he was what? Trey was what? 2000? Trey, 2000, yeah. So 2000, he was, and then he, and he left for L.A. for like maybe like it was like, well, six months or something? He, he didn't have a contract under the, the lot lockout, so he was a free agent after that season. But yeah, um, and he got traded here uh, in 2001. The, Sorry, so it's been more than 22 years. The trade deadline in 2001, that's yeah, so, what it was. So more than 22 years the, the he's tra- been associated with this city. The, the trade for his one-for-one, him for, Craig, uh, for Corey Stillman. Corey Stillman, yeah. And the seventh. I forgot the seventh. It turned into David, David Moss. Moss. Uh, which actually turned out to be a pretty good deal. Dave, Mosser was a good NHLer. That was a damn good NHL player, one of my all-time favorites. We don't have time to talk about how, <laughs> how much of an affinity I have for David Moss right now, so we'll talk about that another day. We've got lots of time in the summer. But Craig Conroy knows this city. He has been in this city pretty much nonstop for 20-plus years. You take out that little stint in Los Angeles. He never wanted to leave Calgary. They didn't offer him a contract. Basically, he was told, if you get a contract elsewhere, it's probably a good idea if you sign it because we don't know what we're doing. So he signed in Los Angeles, and then Daryl reacquired him a couple of years later. And he's been here ever since, been here in Calgary straight associated with the Calgary Flames since January of 2007. So we're talking about a long time. That's more than 16 years that he has been associated straight with the Calgary Flames, and he's been in management for more than 12 years. So the guy knows the organization inside and out. Then you've got Brad Pascal, as you just talked about. He's lived in Calgary for decades. He's worked at Hockey Canada. He was a part of three gold medal junior winning teams. He helped construct maybe the most dominant Olympic team of all time in 2014. And and then moved in to NHL hockey ops, and he's been doing that for almost a decade and, and has has won and touched a lot of things and has been doing the GM job on a smaller scale in the American League for almost 10 years now. So you've got two guys that touch so much in the organization already, um, and I do think you've got two really good internal candidates. And I think 
the, the lean is Conroy just because he's been here a little bit longer, but I, I think you've got two really good guys uh, right now in the organization. I just think why a lot of people maybe lean a little bit more Conroy is because of, of the three extra years he's been here. But I get going and talking to other guys. I understand that. I just, if it's not clearly better than what you've got right now, and sometimes hiring internally isn't always the best bet, but with so much, Pike, so much um, turmoil and turbulence over the last couple of years with this organization, having somebody familiar, I think, is actually a really good thing this time around. Yeah, I mean... They're guys, you know, if you look at the history of the Flames dating back to the 70s, I mean, they've hired guys. I mean, when Cliff Fletcher left, they went with Doug Reisbrow, who was the AGM and assistant coach. He he knew a lot of, of the things he was getting into. He was already the head coach. He tried to do both, and it was a challenge for him, and it didn't really work out the way anyone really hoped it would. Uh, then they went with Al Coates, and I think Al Coates is one of the more underrated GMs in Flames history, you know, dealing with you know, the economic challenges. The worst economic time ever to be a yeah, Canadian like, GM. Yeah, just try, try to outspend your American counterparts when your dollar is trading at 63 cents a uh, U.S. dollar. Sounds easy to me. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, there's there's different challenges. I, I think there's something to be said for guys that know what they're going to be getting themselves into because I think if you know what the challenges are in a, in a group intimately, I think it can help you tackle them. But... You know, if you're if you're you know also saying, oh well, you know, what if would you want new perspectives? Yeah, I totally see that the uh, having some outside voices too. So I think I'm I'm really curious how it turns out and who ends up being interviewed because you know I, I think there's no shortage and there's going to be no shortage of really interesting qualified candidates coming up to the to the plate for this thing. Uh, a few text messages first from Dan and Cochran says uh, Dan is on Team Peverly, assuming of course it's not Conroy or Pascal, who I'd also be fine with. Dallas is a good model for the. Flames to follow given our current salary structure yeah dallas has had to work around a cut now look jamie ben and tyler sagan are huge reasons a why the stars are in a position to move on to round two and b why they're one of the best teams in the nhl this year uh in the western conference so um they've been good this year but those contracts have been cumbersome over the last number of years Ooh, for good the stars. word good word great song as well seven mary three oh, yeah. good song um it's my uh that's my DJ roots. Uh, there's nothing wrong with trying to see if there's a better guy than your best guy. Fair, and that's why I say do your due diligence. Um, I'm not suggesting that you don't see who else is out there. Like, hell, if I'm if I'm talking to my boss and he's like, yeah, you know what, we're just looking at the future of Flames talk, I'd be like, well, yeah, if you could get Howard Stern and there are probably about 7,000 people in between me and Howard Stern, if you can get somebody better, then, yeah, replace me with them um, for sure. So I think you understand that if you're Conroy and you understand that if you're Pascal and in the organization you want to do that. But I, I just I don't think you want to undervalue the two guys that you have internally is, I guess, the point that I'm trying to make. Uh, this says Conroy's out of town. How would you put him in front of the media if he's... He's not here. Well, they have this thing called Zoom. So there's that number one. That's the the, the pandemic has given us one thing. It's a Zoom media conferences, but also you can just wait until he comes back. He'll be back at the end of May once the World Championships are done. Um, and and they, they have planes. I'm sure if they said you're getting the job, he'd go. Okay, I can fly back for a couple days. Yeah, and I think that you know the AGM at the World Championship. You do a lot of work going in. I don't know how much work there is to do once the tournament begins. So um, there's also that as well. Uh, this says, yeah, those guys are familiar with mediocrity. Talking about Pascal and Conroy. Get someone from outside the organization. I guess I understand that that line of. Thing 
thinking as well, even though I, I think that there's a lot to uh, staying internal. Uh, this says, if Conroy's keeping Daryl Sutter, then absolutely not hire him. I believe the majority of the players do not want to play for Sutter again next year. I don't... I The last thing I'll say about the GM before we move on to a couple of other topics, I don't think that the GM and the coach should be tied together. I'm not suggesting that they will or won't. I just don't think that it should be the case. I don't think a general manager should have to inherit a coach, should have to say, I'm not taking this coach. I believe uh, if you're going to hire a new general manager and put that GM in the best spot to succeed for your long-term organizational health, he should come in with the keys, including being able to hire or fire whoever he wants from a hockey ops side of things. And if he fully believes in Daryl Sutter, then fully he should have that autonomy the same way if he fully believes that a change is what would help this organization, he should be able to do that too. Agreed. Very much so. Uh, is Aginla a coaching option if Conroy's GM? No, but I think he could be a hockey ops option if Conroy's GM. I Honestly, Jerome Aginla, like he's, he's done a lot of stuff. I'd say if... He's he's one of the few guys league-wide that I go, if he's wanting to come in, you ask him what he wants to do. I mean, maybe you don't want to make him GM. Maybe you want to make him head coach. But, I mean, there's a few guys that sort of – like when Dave, when Dave Lowry got into coaching, when you talk to Dave Lowry – I put Matt Stage in the same category. When you talk to Matt Stage and you talk to Dave Lowry, you sort of follow their careers. You follow how they comport themselves and how they can articulate concepts about hockey – the whole time they were they were playing, I kind of figured they'd go into coaching. Jerome McKinley is also one of those guys where I think he has he has the kind of uh, the knack for the sport that I think if he if he's willing to to come in and do something, I think you definitely entertain it, and I definitely think you you use the phrase, "Well, Jerome, what do you want to do?" But that's just me. I think I think that there I think there could be a chance that that Jerome would be part of hockey ops, especially. Specifically, if Craig Conroy's the GM, I think that and, I think that he could be part of the uh, the hockey. Jerome, Jerome's youngest is eligible for the WHL draft this year and could be a full time WHLer in a year. So I mean, you know, if if his idea was he's going to go to Kelowna and wanted to be close to his kids for coaching, I mean, the the last one's almost out of uh, into major junior, so his schedule might be freeing up. Uh, there's your look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. The beer tastes better when it's bought from the place that cheers for your team. Visit your local Calgary Co-op Wine Spirits beer today. A few things uh, elsewhere. All of Shillington. We think we think he's back next year. That's kind of the working assumption right now, that he'll be all, back in the fold. All signs seem to be pointing towards that possibility. I see that some video has started to surface of him back on the ice in Flames gear, starting to really try to work himself back into game shape. He took a year off for personal reasons. Um, but Shillington back in the fold, how does that change the look, the approach, the overall feel to Calgary's blue line next year. How do we think that that alters things? It makes them a heck of a lot faster. It I mean, does. Uh, he's he's one of those guys. I mean, we, we saw a bit of it from Nikita Zadorov this year. We saw a, a fair bit of it once Troy Stetcher got here, uh, true to advertising. Uh, but, you know, Oliver Shillington's one of those guys where, you know, he's so good at skating that his his – that extra step he has, the explosiveness and the skating and the fluidity of how he moves can just add an extra element that few guys, I think, in the organization, blue line or otherwise, can add to an attack and to a defensive group. So if, if, he's, if he's on his way back, that, I don't think it's anything but good news, and it makes the Flames a much more dynamic and dangerous team. 
and I'm not really – I guess I'm not really all that worried because somebody texts in and says, do they want Oliver back after taking a year off? Do you think he'll be any good? I mean, when you are an elite hockey player and if you are a second-round pick in the NHL draft who has already played hundreds and or 100-plus NHL games, you are an elite hockey player. You may not be an elite NHLer, but you're a elite hockey player. Yeah. When you're that high level of an athlete, when you're top 0.1% in the world of athletics, taking a year off isn't going to affect you that much. Could it be a little bit of a slower adjustment? Sure, but I'm with you. I think having Oliver Shillington back next year makes him a better team and I think gives them more options in terms of how they can proceed this offseason or even yeah. how they could proceed at the trade deadline and especially, especially with a guy who's, who's young, who's got that explosiveness, and can play on both sides. and can sort of play well on both sides. And I think, you know, if, if you're one of the people who thought the Flames sort of, you know, looked like the, a team that wasn't as, uh, as energetic and they didn't really have the, the the tools they could really use. Like I think the how many times we hear Daryl Sutter, uh, you know, ponder his defensive pairings in post game media conferences, talking about how oh he's yep. still working on his pairings. Having a Shillington gives you the ability to sort of play. He can play anywhere you need and up and down the lineup at both sides of special teams. And you know he he can give you a lot. And if the idea is that you 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 want to spread out some some responsibilities, if the idea is you want to add a different wrinkle to different parts of your lineup. He, he can do a lot of things for you, and I think he opens up a lot of possibilities for the rest of the lineup too. He does. And if you have all the guys under contract back next year, well, then you're talking about Anderson and Hannafin and Uyghur and Zadorov and Tanev, and now you put Shillington back in there. I think you like your possibilities is how you could make your six defensemen there or your, your three pairings there. But it also, look, we don't know what the final cap number is going to be, but it doesn't sound like it's going to be going up a significant amount. So the Flames might be in a little bit of cap hell for next year. They might need to move a player out to help give themselves some flexibility. And let's not forget, they do not have to work Shillington in to any, or we're, we're not working Shillington in to any of those calculations because Oliver was on the cap all season long. There was not a single day where Oliver Shillington's money was not on the cap. So all of our calculations talking about what they may or may not have under the cap for next year has Oliver's number on it. And thus, if you were to move out one of your pending UFA defensemen, Hannafin, Tanev, or Zadorov, well, then you could use that money elsewhere to sign, whether it's bringing Stetcher back or whether you're talking about adding a little bit up front and supplementing from the American League too, like all of a sudden you get Shillington back and it makes your cap management a whole lot easier as well. Oh yeah, and you know, for for two and a half million bucks, I mean, I I would have concern maybe a bit, a bit, a bit of rust in training camp, but if he's anywhere close to what he was in that first, you know, that last season, if there's anywhere close, you know, are you going to get better value for two and a half million dollars of cap space? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Do we – we still only have one confirmed Flame player going to the world, right? Mackenzie Weger, yeah. He's the only one that's officially confirmed. It, it sounds like – We should a, be hearing more, hopefully, but that's that's the only one we know for sure. Uh, Toffoli spoke pretty positively about it 
on locker cleanout day two weeks ago, and I still think that there's a. I think he's kind of the the next most likely guy to go for Team Canada. Um, I think Coronado is the most likely guy to go for Team USA. I think he's got a good chance, strong chance of being on their roster. We know that two other guys are not going, so you can add. Vladar and Ruzichka to that list as well because apparently Pike's been brushing up on his Czech and his Slovakian and he's been uh, perusing those websites. So you've got news on both those Hey, guys. I'm giving credit to the, the comm staff of those national teams. I sent emails to the people I know and go, so what's going on? They're like, here's the link. We put it up yesterday. I'm like, sweet. Now I don't need to learn Czech. Uh, yeah, Dan Vladar has a what's being termed via Google Translate and the, national, the Czech national team uh, a minor health issue, a minor health problem, and so he not 100% not going to go. That probably sounds like he was invited and said, "Nah, can't do it." Yeah. Uh, and also, uh, Adam Rzichka isn't uh, isn't it also is 100%. Uh, I believe the phrasing that the national team used was, "He's just not 100% physically or, or mentally." It was uh, it was a tough season. I don't think it's surprising to hear that you know folks uh, coming out of uh, a very stressful Flames environment uh, based on how they were trying to you know get into the postseason and just fell short uh it was a tough season for a lot of guys so i think you know if you're adam razichka go home reset recuperate and then come back here at 100 percent for the fall so uh he's already back home in slovakia and will not be competing in the worlds so no vladar no razichka no rasmus anderson no troy stetcher no andrew manjapani i've heard no backland no backland you've heard that as well I've okay heard no so, there's, so there's a sixth no um, I'm, I've, kinda, I've, I've I, heard ish no Markstrom, so there's I, I would a seventh. I would imagine probably no Tanev based on how he talked about getting his body right, Blake Coleman. I know uh, uh, Coleman, Coleman, Hannafin, I, I don't believe are going for Team USA. Um, so there's... There was a lot of a lot of uh, Flames players who were talking about just getting their bodies right after a tough season, uh, up and down the lineup. So I don't think you know it's 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 disappointing because you know you know you you and uh, you and Aaron Vickers were talking about it earlier in the week uh, on Flames Talk the idea that you know you can you can go to Europe and turn kind of a, a gloomy end of the season into something more positive with a good performance at the World Championship. But you know there's a, there's a lot of guys who probably would love to do that, but their bodies just probably aren't where they want them to be. To uh, to be, feel like they can do that. Uh, I don't know if you heard that screaming in the background, but that's the Abbotsford Canucks uh, getting ready for game two of their game, uh, their series with the Calgary Wranglers on Friday night. Wranglers and Canucks game two of a best of five with the Wranglers leading one game to none. Jacob Pelche, the overtime winner Wednesday night at the Dome. Uh, I watched that game from afar. Uh, you were here for Wednesday night. What uh, jumped out at you from the Wranglers in game one? Oh man, uh, Adam Klapka does not play like a like a, a big player in the sense that he's like built like a tree, six eight, and he moves surprisingly well for a guy as beefy and tall as he is. And he scored a very nice goal. Uh, his his puck his puck play. Uh, he's always had the size, and you know I think his his hands are starting to catch up to where he wants them to be at this level. He you know he was very good. Uh, Jeremy Poirier really impressive. Uh, you know he's he's. Not quite at the Shillington level of being able to skate yourself in and out of problems, but I think he's so much better than he was in, say, October at reading plays and jumping into the rush and knowing when and when not to do it. Yep. And, uh, of course, what can you say about Dustin Wolf? Dustin Wolf's really good at hockey. Uh, he uh, His play in the first period, especially during a five-minute power play for the Atmosphere Canucks, uh, elected MVP chance, and uh, rightfully so. He was their best player yeah. in the game, and he was, when, when the, you know, the, the Wranglers came out and to be 
brutally honest in the first 15 minutes of the game, they looked like a team that hadn't played in 11 days. But their goaltender, you know, allowed them to get out of that period unscathed and allowed them to get a lead and allowed them to build their game. And, you know, for, you know, an NHL club that didn't have, you know, on too many occasions, a goaltender who could bail them out and allow them to do that, uh, they have an AHL goaltender, at least at the AHL level, who can. And if he's, you know, if he's anywhere close to what he usually is on a consistent basis for the next few weeks, few months, we could be talking about a long Wranglers playoff run. It's Pike and Steinberg from the Scotiabank Saddledome in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge. Do you have cracks in your walls, floors, or ceilings? Visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. They are all things basement-y. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite. NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Drug-Free Kids Canada would like to offer you this moment to talk about sports, about school, about drugs. Take it away. We'll even add a little background music for you. Start talking now. If you need some tricks to keep the conversation going and make it a little smoother, we've got you. Visit DrugFreeKidsCanada.org for some help. But above all, keep talking. You're locked on Flames Talk. Only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, Pike, let's talk Calgary Event Center because we've been talking to you about this thing for years now, and uh, now we have a brand new agreement for a $1.2-plus billion event center. Kind of very, we, very... We have an agreement yes, yes, to we have an, maybe we have, an have an agreement. We have an agreement in principle that needs to be finalized and there needs to be more I's dotted and T's crossed. But it is exciting. What did you make of Tuesday's announcement? What jumped out at you about what we heard from everybody who spoke on Tuesday and who has spoken since Tuesday's announcement? I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. I think the $1.223 billion price tag is both a thing that makes people excited and the thing that makes people nervous. Uh, so if you break it into its constituent elements, which is honestly I, the way I think is the easiest way to wrap my own uh, tiny head around what's going on. Uh, so there's the arena, the actual, like, the building that stuff will happen in, the uh, the non-community flames run part of the arena is uh, uh, $873.6 million estimated price tag. Uh, it is up from $550 million when they came up with their last deal uh, in 2019. But when you factor in uh, a worldwide pandemic that completely upended uh, supply chains and made everything much more expensive and, and costly and, you know, lengthy to do, 873.6 million is probably about what you need to actually do it. Uh, and I believe the math is the the Flames were paying for something around, I think it's like 356, just under 356. I haven't done the math in the back of my, in the back of this thing, but... Uh, it's about it boils down to about 41 40 41 percent of the building which is what it is 
And then the government of Alberta kicking in a bit of money for public realm stuff, just basically stuff around the outside of the, of the facility. And then the city kicking in the rest. Uh, the community rink is a 50-25-25 split, uh, 50% province, 25% uh, apiece CSEC and City of Calgary. $53 million budget for the community rink. Again, sounds about right. I think, you know, for something that's going to be a 1,000 seats and used for practices and then just community stuff, uh, especially if you compare how much the one up north cost. Again, feels about right. Uh, and then the thing that both makes me furrow my brow and go, okay, I get it, uh, is the, the other stuff. So the province's primary contribution of their $330 million is just about $275 million of, quote, land, site-enabling, district-wide infrastructures, and other community elements. So when the last deal was really getting dug into. One of the things that a lot of folks at City Hall were nervous about was uh, there is a basically the the egress plan is what they were called. So if you've if you've been even before the Saddle Dome area was largely under construction for LRT and other stuff related uh, construction, uh, this area has been getting out of here. Is it's a, a pain nightmare. In the ass it's a nightmare. Is, is there's really there's there's no way of of, of uh, you know gustying it up. It's a nightmare, and so. The flames are aware of this, and so are so is the stampede, so is the city. So part of the part of the one of the things that got that was part of the last deal that had the potential to be really costly, and the and neither side really had a comfort level with funding it, uh, at least to the level they think it needed to be funded, was the the road the road infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So part of what they're doing, and part of what the plan is, is so there are two entrances to Stampede Park. There's going to be three. The, the south entrance coming off 25th Avenue down by the uh, the Earlton tra- uh, train station uh, where you cross the Elbow River and come in the south gate, there are plans for some kind of uh, improvements to that entrance because it needs it. So they're going to do something with that. Uh, they're bringing 17th Avenue in front, you know, uh, if you've been around Stampede Park, you've noticed in addition to BMO Center construction, they're ba- they bash out that wall that used to keep everything in on the west, set of, uh, the west end, and they're bringing in... Uh, a, an at-grade crossing of 17th Avenue to bring it in. And so, in theory, you'll be able to drive your car in and out from 17th Avenue. And the road stuff, it, it's part of it's stuff that the city wanted to do anyway, but a lot of the stuff is stuff that the city wanted to do anyway but didn't really have the money earmarked for it yet. Stuff they were working on. And the other thing that's going to be expensive is, and something that uh, could cost uh, like $100 million to do, is a brand new uh, South Street underpass underneath uh, the CP Rail right-of-way. That is the, uh, that's the 6th Street underpass. 6th Street, yeah. 6th yeah. Street going going into the, the West Village. Basically takes you into village, the rather. East Village from, so it would take you under the, the CP, CP Rail tracks uh, mm-hmm. and, and bring you right in to I, the Saddle Dome. Yeah, so it'd be, I think it would basically be, you'd, you'd be entering that, uh, that underpass right around... Fort Calgary, that kind of area, and you zip under, and then you be in. So the idea is that you know you add lanes, you add infrastructure, you add a bunch of stuff that would be expensive to make things work. So when the province goes, oh well, we're not funding the building, that's basically true in the sense that there's a bunch of stuff you need to do. Like if you're building, if you're adding an arena that has better capacity, better, you know, more stuff going on. And at the same time, you're going to have a BMO center that's going to be much busier than the current uh, situation is, and so on and so forth. If you're adding these many people, dates, cars, whatever, to what already exists, it just won't work because what already exists is already jammed on the roads. So 
as much as I, 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 I'm loath to say, yeah, they probably should be doing this. Yeah, they probably should be doing this. And, you know, the, I think the, the Flames and the, the city were both comfortable throwing in a lot of money into the, the new building. And it makes sense. And then I think they were both pretty comfortable with the, the province coming in and saying, hey, uh, this won't work unless we can do this other stuff around it. Are you cool with us piggybacking on your thing? So, you know, uh, ignoring the political elements of it, it all kind what of make, it, it make, it makes what sense. What It makes about? sense for everyone on paper, but you know, I'm I've been pretty adamant uh, on social media anytime. So, you know, I wrote a lengthy piece for the site when you know, basically boiling down the questions I had in my head. And if you ask me, hey, is this a good deal? I don't know. I need to see the. I need. I need to see the. the yeah, we the don't team. have a. We don't have a detailed breakdown as of yet. We just have the numbers that were uh, laid out to us by Mayor Gondek right at the beginning of the news conference, and you know, conversations with Premier Smith and John Bean of CSAC and more have laid out some a, a yeah. little bit more clarity and, in terms of where all the money's going. But we don't have those and, detailed breakdowns. And yet. and I can understand. You know, you've probably seen it on your social media and the text line. I've seen it on my social media. Folks saying, oh. Oh, even even if you ignore the, even if you chop out the the enabling stuff and just look at the the building itself, eight seventy five for a building, it's a it's a big number. So and if you're someone who goes, ooh, yeah, we need a new building, that's a that's a big number. Yeah, it's a big number. I don't think the number is getting smaller though. Like especially you know we've been if if the idea that you have is let's just wait and see if that number comes down, I don't know if it's coming down. This might be the number having come down from something else. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's good that we're no longer waiting and twiddling our thumbs. And, you know, every time I say, oh, the council's meeting, I'll say this. I've, I'm I'm very glad. My, my spidey sense was tingling when some uh, colleagues of mine at City Hall pointed out, hmm, there's people here who aren't usually here for the meeting. And usually, I think at council meetings, you know, the... CAA icon and the 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 group that present that was managing the negotiations never presented in front of the main council group. This was the only time they've ever done it. Uh, they added a lawyer too and added an, a third uh, negotiator, so uh, they were multiplying. And multiplying usually means that something big's happening. So uh, it was probably about you know if you look at the the timing of everything in terms of how long the negotiations went on from, since October. This is basically as long as it took them last time too. So it everything sort of aligns. A couple of things that I think are important. Number one, um, the, the number one thing that I think is important is that this this dollar figure seems a little bit more uh, a little bit more accurate and a little bit more feasible to actually come in around. The thing that I really like about this is that the one point two billion dollar figure, I think leaves them some wiggle room to cut things out that maybe won't be 100% necessary when it's all said and done. And it also feels like more of a realistic projection when it's all said and done. That, to me, is important because if we're hearing $600 million and the next thing you know it costs $850 million, you're like, well, that's $250 million over budget. That's bad. Whereas if it ends up being... 1.2 billion and it comes in at 1.2 billion you, for everything you, involved. You, you'd rather you're start happy. you'd rather start at a scary sounding number than get to a scary sounding number. 
And, you know, when you had Eric on uh, on the last hour, I think he hit on, a, on some good points. It's the idea that, you know, if you look at one of the things that uh, that I noted at the press conference with uh, with all the dignitaries was uh, this is a bigger, a bigger parcel. Uh, you know, before, you know, if you're coming into the saddle now, uh, you could just take a straight shot down Fifth Street and you can get to the uh, the little loop to drop you off at the, the TELUS Club. Now uh, it's going to be a little bit of a, a weirder meandering route because there's a 5A Street that's going to be created. They're carving out part of an adjacent lot and sort of pivoting the entire block around to fit it into a larger space and looking you know I actually spent the part of the part of your conversation with Eric going through the HOK plans from you know Arena Deal 1.0 and it's a beautiful facility but a lot of it was just sort of crammed in on whatever foot space they had Uh, you know the, the they didn't have a community rank even though you know, part of the $550 million was, man, we'd love to have a community rink. That's something they really wanted to have because then you can actually say that there's some sort of a public usage element of this that isn't attached to a ticket price. And I think that was really important for everybody to have. There's no such thing as a free lunch, but I think a bigger lot, a bigger and more realistic uh, conception of what this needs to be in order to be useful for everybody, or at least for as many people as humanly possible in the city. You know, this is... I don't know if this is a perfect deal. I don't know if a perfect deal exists, but this feels like at least in terms of what they're getting and the you know the universe we're operating in post-pandemic, this feels like the, the best deal they probably could have gotten. Lots more steps to come, but we have a first step at the very least. As we start to wrap things up this hour, uh, this hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Make patio setup easier for your staff with a key-to-like system. Just one key to lock all your padlocks and doors. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com.